Hi, I'm Sam Simon, and I'm the grandpa, and I always think deep. Hi, I'm Emily Simon. I'm the granddaughter, and I'm always wondering, in every conversation we have, why does grandpa always think deep? Good morning, grandpa. Good morning, Emily. I'm letting you say good morning first because it's your turn to pick the topic today. Yeah, it is. So last night I was up watching this YouTube series called The Alt-Right Playbook. And it basically, it's about the conservative mind, both regular conservative and the alt-right. And just like the concept is basically, here's why arguing with the conservative and giving them facts isn't going to work. It's about like the fundamentally different mindsets between liberals and conservatives in this country. And it was very, very eye-opening. And I'd like to share some of what I found and hear your thoughts because it was very interesting. All right. I'm I'm anxious to hear it. I have not listened to those, so go. Yeah. It's just a guy on YouTube, but it all rings very true. A lot of it's stuff that dad has been saying for years, actually, about Republicans. Your dad. He's my dad, yes. So- the first thing that I found was basically a video about, I think they're called thought terminating sentences, where when you try to explain that something is complicated, one will just repeat to themselves more than to you a simple phrase that's like short, quit being wrong. It's a phrase that this guy uses a lot, short, quit being wrong. That makes the world sound simple because people don't want to accept the world is complicated. And like you, the example of like the hole in the ozone layer, like you're, if you're trying to explain like hydrofluorocarbons, how they cause have the ozone layer to go away. Someone and you have someone who doesn't want to accept that it's hydrofluorocarbons, they'll just say, Oh, it's sunspots. And they'll just keep saying that no matter what you try to say to them. And this happened, that was just an example, but it can happen in all the different kinds of things. People who just want to think that the world is simple and not complicated. And it's like, how do you have democracy with people who are unwilling to accept the truth and work on the same basis of facts? I don't know. That's a big question. That was a really big question to dump on you first thing, but I, and that was kind of my takeaway. Like, how did how do you make this thing work? I can give you also some other examples of other concepts that you brought up. If you can do a couple of others real quick, as I yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Well, another one was about sort of the belief that there is evil in the world and you can't make all the evil go away. So why bother trying? This is why like you talk about this. So like why, why people don't want universal health care because you can't save everybody's lives. So why even bother? Or why they don't want vaccines? Or why they don't want gun control? You can't get rid of all the guns. Why even bother trying? You're just going to be evil in the world. The best you can do is just signal that you're not evil, and instead of actually trying to do something about it, and a lot of it is rooted in a belief in the next life, and so we'll just ride out in a shitty life until you can get to heaven, basically. Another one was about sort of the fundamental difference between viewing everyone as being equal, everyone should be equal, and we should try to do things to make society more equal versus the hierarchy of capitalism is good and people are in the spot they are because that's the way it should be. And any attempt to try to make things equal is just interrupting the natural order of things under capitalism, where the smart people go to the top and everyone else is at the bottom. I know, I have a lot to dump on you. No, 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 no. Well, so being current, you saw Watson videos. Last night, I read an op-ed this morning, mm-hmm. and this last note, you, last item you talked yeah. about, is the intersection. I was sort of looking to see if there was an intersection of the ideas. So the idea that- Tell me more. It sounds very interesting. Yeah. The idea that it doesn't matter, the elites are in charge. Yeah, they, it's, it's complicated, and 
course, the alt-right refers, by the way, to the phrase the alternative right. That is, the it's a phrase to describe what is considered a an extreme group. So they're not the mainstream. Not mainstream, and they're not even that in theory that large. That doesn't mean they don't have power and impact and can't and might not even cause significant harm in the world. A lot of the worst of history began through my small groups of extremists. And then there's Margaret Mead, who is a, oh, what do you call those people who study cultures? Anthropologists. Anthropologists, thank you. His quote is saying, nothing's more powerful than a dedicated small group of people in a room. Yes, I have I have heard that phrase before. And it was used a lot. You know, my career started with Ralph Nader, still a friend. And that, you know, as a group of us lawyers were sitting around in downtown Washington in a law office in 1015, I think it's 915 15th Street or 10, whatever on 15th Street and L, trying to change the world. We, we heard that Margaret Mead quote a lot. You can do it. But it, I think the alt-right is a version of that, except... For the worst. Yeah, well, then you go back to, you know, it's interesting. Because of what they believe they're the worst, not because they can't have impact. So the article I read, and there's been some more about this. I don't remember us talking about it, but this is, it's about how the mainstream America is becoming a meritocracy. Yes. And it's the threat or the, the evil or the challenge of meritocracy, which has the effect of creating a demeaning point of view or to me, people feeling marginalized, demeaned, excluded. Now, the right element of this and the danger is the vitriol of this particular philosophy the nature of the lack of humanity or the demonization of the others. And so people who feel somehow marginalized and excluded and looked down upon resort to some really terrible stuff. You know, I, I guess one of my questions is, or is this my meritocracy at work? Why can't they just believe in the rule of law? <laughs> Well, how does the rule of law relate to meritocracy exactly? Well, because it depends on lawyers and the legal system and people with education to argue things out and take things to logic and learning. And if you've never graduated high school or college, if you... guy, I'm wondering where I saw this today. You're talking about the rule of law and about meritocracy. I always thought of... And I never thought of those two things as being in conflict with one another. Well, you know, how not believing in meritocracy equal also not believing in the rule of law. I'm that's a, that's what I'm confused about. Well, because the people who haven't been to law school, haven't finished high school, maybe just worked, you know, lived in rural and small towns, feel like the lawyers in the system work for everybody but them. And, well, it's more expensive. <laughs> 
And they translate that into some other kinds of things. You know, you know, I, I'm a literalist in the Bible. I go to a fundamentalist church, and maybe even not that. It's just my business is. I can't make a living. I'm barely getting by. And it's these guys are cutting off social security. You know, it doesn't have to be right or left. Or it's the you know, I can't get health care. You know, you have somebody in your family die, and and you look at the other side and. There are these people who set the rules and laws, and or how about the person who gets the ticket? There are towns in in this country who get to budget off of ticketing speeders and put people in jail if they can't pay their traffic tickets, and then take away their home. There's, but these are the people who feel put upon by the system. Uh, you know, there are a couple of facts that was in this morning's paper. Now, just his article about David Brooks, maybe it was him, I don't know. The number of, well, maybe it was him, the idea of having to be married to have children, that 98% of people with college graduates live in a marriage with children. Yeah. And the number of those who never finished high school are almost the opposite. In the high 70s, aren't in a, in a community. Well, did they now finish high school because they had a child? Emily, the numbers would belie, would say it could be a, probably economically based. A variety because of Because the large, the, the percentage of difference is so big that it can't be just one thing. It wasn't yeah. about because they had, we got pregnant. It's because the norm has changed within their community. It's like we're, I mean, it's a combination. I don't think there's a magic I haven't really understood the whole like having children out of woodlock thing. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. People can have a child, and if they are supported by lots of people who are willing to love this child, help raise this child, and being a single parent doesn't necessarily mean it's detrimental to the child. And I don't think I'm talking about that. The economic impact demonstrably is huge. That again, the idea you know, out of woodlock. And yeah, the idea that it's like, what do you want me to do about that? Like be. All judgmental, give out opinions about other people's lives that no one asked me for. It's like, no. what, is that what you want me to do about that? No, no. What I'm trying to explain is that it creates a subculture or a culture in our society that's susceptible to the ideas of the alt right. That they, whatever happened to them, that group, whyever they are so low in income, that the the benefits of a of the American dream aren't available, and it isn't even necessarily their dream. And so they're looking, there are large populations that are looking for people to blame. Lots of them blame the Jews because this. I have always blamed the Jews forever. Well, but the old right. It's always done that. It's a good part of that, our sorrows. So let me ask you so. What did it, about what you saw impressed you? What did you think about what you were reading in it? And did it make you think about ways to address it or what to do about it? Honestly, no, but it was just very enlightening to see what the fundamentally different mindset is. And it made me like understand, oh, this is like why people think like this. I just never understood why anybody thought like that. Like why did anybody think that inequality was good and homeless people should just get a job or whatever? I was like, you suck at the human. And I'm like, oh, there, there's a philosophy behind it. I mean, it's not, but like it's, there's a coherent set of thoughts like behind it. Like it made more sense to me. So I think 
the world that looks at it tries to create that consent. The outside looking at them develop. Oh, and definitely they also talked about. So, I mean, the right is a broad coalition of things. One of the more interesting videos was about 4chan culture. 4chan is anonymous message board. And so there's like no repercussions for what you say. And how basically people on 4chan, and it took a while to get to this point, but it was very good once it, it's difficult to explain it without like retelling the whole video. But basically, how people on 4chan, so they have on a message board, like on the internet, you can't really tell when someone's being sincere versus when someone's being ironic. And you can, if you're looking at something, you can assume that someone's being sincere or being ironic, depending on what makes it easier to like make fun of them, basically. So there are people on the internet who just say whatever, like when you, if you're arguing with them, they will just say whatever they need to say in that moment to win the argument. They have no coherent ideology. They don't believe anything. And it's uh, tell you that they don't really believe anything if you get it out of them because they just say whatever is beats them the argument. But and they always seem to dunk on the libs. Now they ever dunk on other conservatives because they do have conservative beliefs that they want to admit to themselves. But they're kind of very chameleon-like in that they will arguing with the liberal. They'll just say whatever needs to be said. They don't have a, it, you know, the video explained this much better than. But basically, that they they will say basically whatever needs to be said to win an argument against the liberal because they have a hatred for that. Because they do support, it basically it's, a, it's that they don't want to think about the fact that they do support some pretty awful policies, so they don't. And this was difficult to explain and made much more the video, I promise. But again, it feels like we demean them. Maybe they, I don't know, although I, I'm listening to this and picturing the, the group, mainly men, marching. Like mainly the men. Marching in Charlottesville, who were sort of. Oh, this is not, that video was not about them. No, I understand, but but they are. When I say alt right, that's what I think today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this video, it's in a video the alt right playbook was. I think it probably started off being about the alt right, but kind of evolved to being conservative with them in general. But they kept the name. I think there's a huge gap. I would be careful. I would not suggest that a conservative and alt right are nearly. I think they're entirely different phenomena and different things. And there's shades of liberalism. There's shades of conservatism. And then there is what I consider bizarre. Then there's human nature, uh, powerful people who are part of the elite. You know, I think Trump and McCarthy and some of those who are uh, this guy, Howley, out of Alabama, I think he's from, Holly, who say things that are untrue and, and have to knowingly provoke hatred of different minorities. Is it, and part of it's religious, right? Extreme. Faith that, you know, I know what's good and, and what's evil, and you, the other, are delegates of the devil because you believe in same-sex marriage, and God said that that was going to send us all to hell, so we have to kill you. You know, that stuff, I think that's a little—I think that's part of, maybe part of the phenomena. I think there's a far religious right. I think alt-right are people who are— are more Nazi-like, that more, yeah, they definitely are. more akin to being comfortable with mass murder or destroying the other. There are very powerful people who will say and do almost anything just to keep in power and then claim, you know, Trump is really good at this. <laughs> he will do things that he knows instigates violence, but he does it in the way that he says I didn't tell them to invade the Capitol. I just told them to go make their voice heard. He could have stopped. And he had the ability to stop violence. If you could have called something out or yeah, yeah, yeah. 
executive and can stop it and don't, it means you knew what you were doing and you facilitated that. But there are people whose extreme views, how do they get there? What is it in growing up? And you know, this is what I guess I wonder about. And this is what I think some of the people are talking about when they talk about meritocracy and how the two issues, that to be an old writer, where do you grow up and how do you see and believe the world that lets you go to a point that other people are to be so disrespected and demonized and willing to be you now the argument? It's into the white supremacist culture. Yeah, well, it's a supremacist. But it is. It's been around for a long time. Well, maybe it's not just white. Maybe it's supremacist. Just a supremacist culture of some variety? Yeah, it can be black, you know, native black communities against others. It could be anti-Chinese in different places. It could be hate cultural and color hate for others. But why? What is it that creates that environment and allows that to happen? And maybe it's naive to even ask the question, because some could argue that history is more an example of that than a more tolerant, open, diverse world where people live in community together with very different cultures. I guess the question is, you have these different cultures. If, yeah. I actually raised this to my anthropology professor, and she said that humans are built to cooperate with one another, and that there are more examples of humans cooperating with each other than fighting each other. But you just don't talk about it. But like, it feels nice, but I don't know. You know, there, it, there's a book called Guns, Terms, and Steel. Yes, yes, yes. I, I can't remember his name. I was going to say Jared Diamond, but Jared Diamond is a singer, but his last name is Diamond. I don't remember who wrote a big like that. His last name is Diamond, but it's not Jared Diamond. Okay, so. But it's, I think it's Jared Diamond. Neil Diamond is a singer. It's Jared Diamond. I'm pretty sure. You're right. Book by Jared. Right. I actually thought that Jared, Neil Diamond is a singer and Jared Diamond wrote the book. Yeah. Okay. But in the book, it talks about. I'm pretty sure, I, maybe I'm confusing that Guns, Germans, Steel with the other anthropology books that are out. I forget. No, I'm pretty sure it's Guns, Germans, and Steel. That early man in, in the, the study of Aborigines out on an island outside of Australia, where early culture was, you see each other. If you walk and you run into another human being, somebody has to die. That the other is the threat. It's a natural thing. If it's a different tribe and you didn't know it exists, you have to kill them. You have to kill. The cooperation isn't necessarily natural, which would be contrary to your, you know, at least within the tribe, cooperation is necessary. Within the tribe, humans cooperate, yes. But the fear of the other, the other tribe is, well, they're going to take what I have or they're a threat initially and learning how to welcome the other into and be part of the same cooperative world is a challenge. It's you know, to modernize it, it becomes a difference between melting pot and multiculturalism. So a melting yeah. pot says you come to America and you build your old tribe and you become a part of the new tribe in the culture and values and the like. And then there's Multiculturalism is we can live together within our communities among each other. So you have Italy town and German town and all within New York. Yeah. 
and New York City can thrive and we can intersperse. And there is also the argument that in reality, even today, we all go home at night, that we aren't that melting pot. And at the end of the day, even today, we go home and we only have a small group of people that are part of our intimate family circle that I think we've talked about this before. And typically, even with Facebook and all these other things, there's a small group of only really a small group of people that you're really that, that that we really are close with. Do those differences and separations are they part of the reason that we have the extremes? So this relates back to the alt right and other extremes. And then what you were seeing is an explanation. Well, what does it take to be there? That in what kinds of behaviors and systems you know foster that um and mm-hmm. you know the reinforcing things that was interesting even in germany to begin to understand the kinds of systems it took to, you know there was brainwashing back then you want to call it that you would think that the absence of mass media would make it hard to reach large numbers of people no radio it was radio and it was video. They had films. Propaganda songs. I think it was when they went, the Nazis went to Holland. They made everybody watch through schools and other things a film of how evil the Jews were. And so sort of a revelatory film, I forget what it was called. So in a modernity where good information is, should be so available in the Exposure to everything. Again, you look at the number of people who watch only one TV station because the language there reinforces the core beliefs, Fox News. And again, the the percentage of top people who are only Fox News watchers is huge. And so I think I'm missing something in my conversation that people, I'm trying to find where does it come from that you become gravitating to only one point of view, a lack of curiosity and a willingness to treat other people as evil and to kill them or to... A lot of it comes from binary thinking, thinking that either being either good or evil, either right or wrong, and not wanting to think in shade is gray because if the world is complicated, that will allow to think. People don't like to think. People like to think, this is good, this is bad, and not have to actually think about what is right? What is wrong? People don't like to think deep. People, they don't like doing that. They just want to have an easy, simple answer and they'll do whatever they need to do to maintain the idea that the world is simple and there are the good people and the bad people. If bad things are happening in the world, it must be because those other people are evil and did it. Because those okay. other people. And so that's back to this idea of that group feeling marginalized by this societal structure. Yeah. Meritocracy. Even if it warrants. It's not reflected by reality. It drives, it is their reality. It's their lived experience of sort, or because of how they feel and they look for reasons. Why do I feel this? And must feel through. It ratifies their feelings. So it says, oh, I'm not insane or crazy. I'm justified in how I feel. And there are people who are the cause of this. It's an interesting coming together point on both sides that the argument that some people of the elite, there are several people 
David Brooks wrote today, and he cited some people I don't know. There's another guy who wrote a book on meritocracy recently. I forget his name. But and how do we change? Uh, we change our side of the formula. And I guess David Brooks was sort of arguing, arguing the intellectuals, if you will, see it. And their fix is to change the other people. It's not to change us, our side of the equation. Well, interesting that I've learned about in college, in a lot of my college classes, it's been emphasized that people are going to be experts in their own lives. Everybody's an expert in what it's like to be you, what it's like to be a member of your identity, what it's like to live in your town. Everyone's an expert in their own life is to listen to people and to trust them because people are the experts in their own lives and of their lived experience. And to not be condescending towards people who don't have the same education level as you and to instead respect everyone as an expert. Which I think is, I feel like part of that is an effort to combat that elitism by saying everyone is an expert in their own lives and has something valuable to contribute to research. I feel like that's definitely an effort on the part of academia to alter the mindset, which I, I think is interesting. But the argument is even to change the change the uh, model, and that's harder. It's Michael Sandel, S-A-N-D-E-L. I think it, you know, he's a professor at Harvard, a philosopher, who wrote it was two years ago, almost two years ago, a year and a half ago, a book. It's on the web. It's called "The Dark Side of Meritocracy," and his book is "The Tyranny of Merit," which is. He argues that having that we don't even see that, and by measuring and judging everything by that standard, has this crushing impact on those who aren't on the merit side. And what I think even David Brooks today was arguing: How do we change our side of it so that the experience of the other side is different? And that's a bigger challenge. And there's an element of that of still trying to project our view on them and things. And I don't know how to, I think it's a really complicated. Unions? Say that again? Like making sure that everyone can get a good paying job. Even if you like you didn't do so great in school, you could get a fat great job or something and be a union worker and get good pay. I think that's part of it, getting, being able to take care of yourself. So you, you know, earn a decent. Many people who like, might not be the brightest, but who work hard, but still don't get paid enough to support themselves. Is that what you're saying? And we, re- we redefine the word brightest. We have to redefine it, right. Because right, we measure people based on how well they can do math and science and English. Maybe how well they can do music or how well they can... How well they can farm, how well they can be the janitor, how well they can love each other. You know, so many jobs that you have to have that don't, aren't like the subjects in high school, right? Well, it's literally it's about just life. And life that isn't at the expense of another. And I think that's a complicated question. What do you mean? That we structure our society as winners take from losers, if you will. Or it's a variation on either or, but it's the nature of the, I mean, even mindsets. It's the, well, if you're not successful, it's your fault, you're stupid, you're lazy, and as opposed to even structural, maybe you're having to struggle to to put foot on the table because three jobs to feed two children, and then you got people who are the governors running that state that say, "Well, if you can't feed it, it's your fault." And I have no obligation. You know, they don't see the humanity in the other. It's complicated. So you and I are going to go fix this all, right, Emily? Yeah. <laughs> 
somehow, some way. <laughs> well, it is an interesting challenge because well, I thought to your point, talking about like, oh, those people are poor because they deserve to be poor. It's a very, it's a hierarchical thinking of, oh, I'm at the top of this parent because I deserve to be here and I'm better. Right. Most people are at the bottom because they're worse and they deserve to be there. Yeah. How do we change that to ever? Isn't that like actually a big philosophy of the all right is that the belief that the people at the top deserve to be there and the bottom deserve to be there? And how do we change that to say maybe not that? <laughs> well, I, I think it's they're at the top and they're keeping me down. They have to be destroyed. So they, the, there is this element of who adopting violence. Now, you know, it's very complicated. You have now a person that, you know, former president who uses language that invokes violence. Even yesterday, many said at the airport or and says on the I'm standing between them and you. I'm taking really enough for you. That's what they said, right? Now, but the, the logical consequence of that is a call to arms. But he does it in a way that he claims can it involves. It yeah. is a call to arms. And history is filled with that. And somehow in our society today, we don't hear those. We don't hear it. And that is as dangerous as anything. The point is, those of us on the other side of that have to re-examine to what role we play to to make this happen, to enable this to condition to form. And part of that is this meritocracy, the move to create large numbers of, of the population who feel and legitimately feel abused and mistreated and look for a form of justice, but a street justice. And, you know, the danger of the leadership of people who come out of the elite and are We'll see. We'll see where it goes. I think we've exhausted this for the moment. I agree. I think we've exhausted. I was running circles. There's a rumor afoot, Emily, that you're going to be in Delaware pretty soon for for. A bit. I mean, that sounds so exciting. It's really not that exciting. Of well, I think you might be able to run into the president. I I don't think he he ventures up to Lewis though. I don't. I don't think. I don't know. It's not too far from where does he live? Where is his? Probably, but hello there. It's our place. Where is it? Rehoboth. Rehoboth. Well, it's not that far. We drove down to that. Well, all right. Have a time. We're going to air this. Uh, we're recording this about a week before you go. So we'll we'll see how the world has evolved between then and now. But we have a solution. Treat everybody with dignity. Yeah. And create a world that allows everyone to find their own meaning and purpose. All right. Alrighty. Sounds good. We'll do it next week. Yeah, next week. All right. See you next week, Grandpa. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.